We're going to hear a reading where some friends of Jesus certainly um, were able to have their lives turned around uh, by meeting with Jesus after his resurrection. So thank you to Roy, who's going to read our Bible reading for this morning. The Walk to Emmaus. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus came alongside them and began to walk with them. But God kept them from recognising who he was. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped. They stopped short and sadness written across their faces. One of them, Cleopas, said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened these last few days. What things, said Jesus? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, to be crucified. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some of the women of our group and his followers, they were there at the tomb early in the morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body is missing and they'd seen angels who told them that Jesus was alive. Some of our men ran, ran out to sea and sure enough his body was gone just as the women had said. And then Jesus said to them, oh, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote about in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going further on, but they begged him, stay with us. It's getting late. So he went home to be with them. And as he sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognised him. At that moment he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us 
as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the other 11 disciples and other followers who'd gathered with them and they said, it's true, the Lord is risen. Jesus is risen. Big thank you to Roy who has uh, prepared that reading for us and will talk to us in a moment. Um, if you're not sure about Roy, there's um, some information about him in this week's newsletter. He's visited us before and uh, we do thank you again for uh, our message this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and uh, we thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. We pray that you will just inhabit those words of Roy as he speaks to us. And uh, Lord, speak into our lives as to where we are at the moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, and greetings from Northumberland. What a joy and a privilege it is to be with you, uh, albeit online, to celebrate this Easter Sunday. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, what a year it's been. Under normal circumstances, Shirley, my wife and I would have been down at Top Farm in Marsham in Norfolk, staying at my cousin's at least every three months. Instead, like the vast majority in the United Kingdom and indeed in many parts of the world, we've been locked down. The world is changing. In years to come, uh, our grandchildren will talk about the post-pandemic years in a way that previous generations talked about the post-war years. We're like the people of Israel, facing the same issues and asking the question how we sing the Lord's song in a strange land. They were in exile and in many ways our experience of lockdown and pandemic is in exile. Of course there are those who say, like Jeremiah's contemporaries, everything will be all right when we get back to normal, but we're not going to get back to the normal that we once knew, just as it was not possible for those people of Israel to return to Jerusalem. Things will never be quite the same. The world then and the world now is changing. The tectonic plates are shifting in the realms of politics, economics and world power. We're witnessing in many ways the signs of the collapse of the Western world as we have known it. We live in a world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. And of course it's very understandable to want to return to that which was normal, just as the people of Israel wanted to return to Jerusalem. And indeed there were those who were saying as they were in Jeremiah's day, everything will be all right, peace, peace, when it was not all right, when everything was not going to be okay. It's what I hear incessantly from politicians and some church leaders today, which is actually a deception and in the end doesn't help people because it's not defining reality. In fact, one of the things that uh, has struck home to me in this global pandemic has been the bursting of the bubble of Western modernity's arrogance to believe that we can live as we want. We can live without God, or at least God is on the periphery of life. But what we're seeing is that we have sown. What we have sown is now being reaped. We're reaping the consequences of some terrible actions. 
And the pandemic has exposed the folly of the way in which we live, exploiting our planet, abusing the environment, messing with food hygiene and laws, trying to, to rule everything on the basis of economic theory. The pandemic has drawn together some magnificent scientific achievements, but it's also revealed some terrible aspects of human nature. Greed, even coming into the conversation of vaccinations, racism, sexism, the huge gap between the world's stinkingly rich minority and the billions who are poor in the world today, who are suffering. The rise of nationalism, partisan attitudes, tribal behaviours and the emergence of civil unrest all being awakened by the unsettling of these days. We've learned how dependent we are upon others, yet we still live in a society where so many in the caring professions live on the minimum wage or zero hours contracts, and where the poorest of our society will soon have their benefits and allowances cut. Society that sees hundreds of thousands of people dependent upon food banks. Lord, have mercy upon us. There is no return to normal, and in many ways, pray God, we will not return to normal, because normal for the vast majority of the world means only more pain and suffering. Jeremiah's contemporaries, in their saying, peace, peace, when there was no peace. It's a pretty gloomy picture. And if that's all we listened to from the prophet Jeremiah, we'd come to the conclusion that all was doom and gloom. But that's not the whole story. Jeremiah urged people to ask the question, how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And then he goes on to encourage people to discover what God was doing in and through them in the experience of being displaced in exile, in living in that different context. And that has to be the question we ask. Where is God? What is God doing in these days? What does it mean to follow Jesus in a changing world? And it's in that context that we are celebrating Easter, the day that changes the world for good. In our Gospel reading from Luke 24, we have like the, the book of Jeremiah, two stories or, or two chapters in the one story. The one chapter is one of doom and despondency, but the concluding chapter is one of transforming hope. Let's take a closer look at the experience of those who walked along the Emmaus Road. At the start of the story, they didn't recognise who it was who has come alongside them. Jesus asked, what are you talking about so intently as you walk along? They stopped. We read that sadness was written all over their faces. They stopped short. Sadness written on their faces. Think about their experience. They'd followed Jesus, they'd left everything, they'd left their work, they'd given up things in order to follow him. And now where had it led to? He's been taken, crucified, killed, he's dead. Their hopes had disappeared, their longings were dashed, they were numbed by grief. Have you been there? Have we been there? If we've known those experiences, we too are in the story. Jesus then, in walking alongside them, coaxes them to share. Verse 18, then one of them we read, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's been going on these last few days. 
What things, Jesus said. Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet. He did mighty miracles. He was a great teacher in the eyes of God and people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death. He was crucified. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue us. This is what's been going on these last three days. And then some women from our group of his followers, they were at the tomb early one morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus was alive. Some of the men from our group went out to see and sure enough the body was gone, just as the women had said that Jesus had appeared to them. Jesus said to them, Oh, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets spoke of. Wasn't it necessary that the Messiah would suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus, he, he took them through the writings of Moses and the other prophets, explaining from the scriptures all the things that concerned himself. It's like a cascade of words that drop seeds of hope and transformation into their lives. Hope. Notice that word hope in verse 21. We had hoped. When you hear those words, there's, there's always a story behind them. I, I had hoped to be with you today in Norwich. It's like my second home. I had hoped that Middlesbrough might make their playoffs. I'd hoped that my friend's wife had not contracted coronavirus and died. I'd hoped that their two young children would not lose their mother. I had hoped that we might have been with our family at Christmas. I'd hoped that my friend's business had not gone to the wall. I'd hoped that the church that we once belonged to had not had to lay two members of its staff off. I had hoped that the church had just been more able to respond to the crises. I had hoped that we might have been more collaborative as a society to the challenges and problems that we're facing. We read, we had hoped. When a relationship ends, through death or through a breakup, you grieve the loss. We grieve the loss of shared experiences, of, of laughter and joy, of shared pain, adventure, companionship. And for many, Throughout this last year, there is a grieving of the things that have been lost. The lost time, the lost opportunities, the lost relationships, the, the lost experiences of being together. We had hoped. But things have not materialised, or they've not gone the way as it was for those disciples on the Emmaus Road that they would have wished for or anticipated. We can imagine the scene and and we notice from the text that Jesus listens to their story. What he then does is tell another story. He doesn't deny the reality of their story and what they've experienced, but he puts it in a bigger context, a bigger narrative, a bigger story. And by so doing, he brings a different perspective to bear. We read in verse 26, wasn't it necessary? Wasn't it necessary that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And he takes them through the scriptures. Wasn't it necessary? Doesn't mean that God planned it, but rather that God is able to use it, is able to redeem it. That God is able to have the last word. There is nothing that can't be enfolded 
into God's bigger story. Wasn't it necessary? We've all been there in that moment when with the broken pieces of our lives and our stories, the pieces of our life experiences that was shared and shared with someone who gently and compassionately, but inspiringly, amazingly, puts things together in a way that brings some comfort. For the first time in months, just this last week, we've been able to spend some time with our two youngest grandchildren, Lyra and Annabelle, three years and nine months old. Lyra playing beautifully for a little while by herself in the sitting room. Suddenly we hear her, she's burst into tears, she's distraught beyond measure. The model that she'd been making with her Lego has toppled over and broken and the pieces are scattered all over the floor. And then the comfort that comes with a cuddle, something that we've not been able to do for over six months. And then the rebuilding, and in the rebuilding comes some explanation. And throughout the redeeming process, there is a bond between us. No, neither Lyra or I would have wished for that lovely model to be broken. But in putting it back together is transforming hope. What those disciples went through was absolutely devastating. What many people in our own society have gone through has been a very difficult past year. And what for at least those who are grieving the loss of their loved ones to COVID, the highest percentage of deaths of any nation in the world is heartbreaking. It's absolutely devastating. For them and many more, there's no celebration of success or achievement, only sadness. And for many, understandable anger. But just as Jesus came alongside those two distraught men on the Emmaus Road, the risen Christ comes alongside us today. And all who grieve, all who are devastated, all who are wondering what the future holds. And in their story is an invitation for us to enter into the experience of Jesus drawing alongside us. When he brought transforming hope, they didn't want it to end. Remember they said to him, stay with us, stay with us. I'm sure all of us have been in those experiences where we were with someone and we just didn't want the time to end. We could have talked, laughed, could have drank, danced the night away. We didn't want to be an end to that time with them as our lives became intertwined with one another. I remember when Shirley and I were courting. Yes, and, and I know that dates us and indeed, we celebrate our 45th wedding anniversary this summer. We were married, very, very young. We were, seriously. I remember traveling from Harrogate to Leeds to see Shirley and not wanting to go, but to stay with her in her bedsit until midnight when I reluctantly returned home, knowing that I had to be up at five o'clock the next morning to be out driving the bread delivery van for Betty's Bakery, a temporary job I got just before we were married. Who cares if I only got four hours sleep? Surely we've all known those experiences where we think to ourselves, who cares if the meal is over? Order another coffee. Who cares that the concert is over? Keep playing, shout the encore. Stay with us, stay on. But we can't stay in that place forever. We can't keep that moment and bottle it up. We know that those disciples, we know what they felt like. Stay with us, they said to Jesus, stay with us. 
but you can't turn a video into a still photograph. Life moves on as it did for the disciples, but, and this is such an incredible sentence in the story, verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognised him. Everything suddenly made sense. There was only one explanation. They were in the presence of Jesus, the risen Christ. They were so shell-shocked and broken before that, bruised by the experience of the last few days. They didn't recognise who was walking with them along the road. But it was in the breaking of the bread. Perhaps they saw his nail-pierced hands. Whatever it was, they realised that they were now in the presence of the risen Christ. And their story, and the story Jesus told them now, made sense. Their confusion and their grief and their bewilderment was replaced by understanding, comfort and even joy. Even in his disappearing, these two disciples now turn to one another and say in verse 32, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And they're so full of joy. So full of joy that they're utterly convinced that they have to, that they've met with the risen Christ, that <coughs> within an hour they are back in Jerusalem. It must have taken ages, the slow, helpless, hopeless walk from Jerusalem towards Emmaus is now replaced by two disciples who, having encountered Jesus, even though it's getting late, are now running back and declaring to other disciples and others gathered with them, the Lord is risen indeed. He's alive. Of course their hearts were burning within them, not just because they had encountered Jesus, but all the things that he promised, the dawning of a new world, the beginning of a world revolution, the good news that would bring transformation, would bring hope and healing, peace and salvation to the world. That in God's love and his redeeming purposes for the world, everything on heaven and on earth was going to come under the rule of Christ. There was going to come a day when there would be no more suffering or pain or disease or death, no more pandemics. There'd be no such things as racism, nationalism, sexism, misogyny, no exploitation or slavery, oppression or injustice, no evil. The journey on which they met with Jesus was the beginning of a bigger journey, a journey that was to change the world. A journey that would bring life and hope and love to the world. There's a phrase that's often used in these days, is your journey essential? Well, I can't comment on whether it's right for you and I to make a journey to see family or friends, to go on holiday or not. But this thing I do know, there is a journey all of us are invited to walk. It's the walk to Emmaus. For all of us, we carry some brokenness and bewilderment. All of us carry questions, uncertainty. It's a journey that's volatile and vulnerable. It's uncertain and unsure. It's complex and at times chaotic. Such is life's journey. But oh, what a difference when we allow Jesus, the risen Christ, to come alongside, to tell us his story and to bring his redeeming hope. Christians declare today on Easter Sunday, the festal shout, Christ is risen, 
He has risen indeed. May our hearts burn within us in the realization of the risen Christ among us. Amen. Bless you and take care. And greetings from Old Buick, a lovely little prayer cell in an out-of-the-way chapel up a hidden valley road near the Cheviot Hills of Northumberland. The Lord bless you and keep you.